Welcome to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins, and I'm joined today by Alex Lutz, the VP of Marketing and Public Relations at Rumsey, Dan Ryan, the Advertising Director at the Staten Island Advance, and Dr. Alex Barkin, our Chief of Bariatric Surgery and Vice Chair for the Department of Surgery at Richmond University Medical Center. Welcome. Thank you. Through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, and medical professionals that make our hospital thrive. We'll also provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your own health-related questions. The bariatrics field is a medical specialty that explores the study and treatment of obesity through surgeries or other applicable methods. Richmond University Medical Center's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute is operated by knowledgeable medical professionals trained to perform a wide variety of bariatrics procedures aimed at addressing obesity, including sleeve gastrectomy, gastric bypass, bariatric revision surgery, lap band surgery, and support groups. In today's episode, we'll dive into all the bariatric services offered at Rumsey. Today, we are joined by Dr. Alex Barkin, our Chief of Bariatric Surgery and Vice Chair for the Department of Surgery at Rumsey. Dr. Barkin attended medical school at St. George's University School of Medicine, followed by a residency at Maimonides Center and Hahnemann University Hospital, then followed by a fellowship at University Medical Center of Princeton. Dr. Barkin has performed thousands of bariatric procedures since entering the field in 2006. In 2018, he came to Rumsey and founded the hospital's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. Dr. Barkin has also developed several cutting-edge procedures, including the use of robotics, ensuring that patients receive the most advanced care available. His skills and experience have helped position Rumsey as one of the leading hospitals for weight loss surgery in the New York City metropolitan area. Welcome, Dr. Barkin, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we hear so much now these days about weight loss surgery. So I guess the first question is, are we overweight as a society? Yes, we do have an issue with being overweight. About 40% of the population of the United States is either overweight or obese, and that number is increasing. And what's interesting is that the number for obesity itself is stable, but for severe obesity is increasing. So the answer is yes, we do have a problem. Is there a difference between your classifications of overweight, obese, and morbidly obese? Right. So we use the classification of the body mass index, mm-hmm. and the body mass index ranges from 18 to 25, which is normal. From 25 to 29, it's considered to be overweight. Over 30 is considered to be obese. Mm-hmm. So that's what our uh, basic criteria is to determine uh, obesity. Are you seeing any trends or commonalities, especially for patients from Staten Island? Well, Staten Island has a large population of patients who will benefit from weight loss and weight loss surgery. There is a large population of diabetics, and about 50% of diabetics are obese. And so there is a definite need uh, to help the community. Well, we're traditional. We're known. Staten Island's known for having the worst health, right, out of all the five boroughs. So we, and obesity is one of those classifications. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's, do you think that's just uh, like a a commonality that people have in Staten Island where where it's just because of of like conditions of living here or because it's not as, as metro as the other boroughs or because we don't have, we're not walking every day, we're not hitting the subways, we're not hitting public transportation. Do you think that that's, that's one of the, the factors that we have in Staten Island that, that 
leads to that being the, the least healthy borough? Well, the answer is yes and no, because those factors are in all boroughs in, in, in some, to some extent. Uh, and the, we don't really know the exact factors, but definitely a lifestyle plays a role. A genetics plays a role. Some people are predisposed to it. So just by just because of the population and maybe uh, having you know lots of uh, restaurants where you can have carbohydrates doesn't qualify you to have more obesity. But it's a factor. For example, there are over a hundred putative factors for obesity. One of them is uh, a, the African mosquito. And the African mosquito uh, uh, can cause obesity as well because uh, kids don't play outside when mosquitoes are out, so they don't want to get bitten. <laughs> you know, or air conditioning could be a source for obesity too, right? Because you're sitting home in an air conditioning instead of being outside and sweating things off. So we don't really know, but there are very interesting reasons for obesity, and um, uh, and lifestyle is one of them. What's the connection between obesity and diabetes? So fifty percent of diabetics are obese. Mm-hmm. Uh, diabetes increases with increase in weight, um, and that really is a, a sort of a direct correlation. Uh, not all obese patients will be diabetics, mm-hmm. and not all diabetics are obese. For example, the Asian population uh, has a very uh, significant uh, incidence of o- diabetes, but they're not obese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their criteria for obesity are different as well. There are criteria in a Caucasian population would be 30 BMI, and, and the Asian population is 27 BMI, is considered to be obese. Well, is that based on diet? Yeah, we don't know, right? We don't know, because if you have an Asian uh, person who is uh, uh, who is diabetic but not obese, so genetics definitely plays a role. Okay. Um, so bariatric or weight loss surgery can significantly help in a patient's weight loss journey. Can you tell us about the different bariatric surgeries performed at RUMC and how they differ from each other? So we perform... Uh, Two basic surgeries at Ramsey. We've performed something called a gastric sleeve, a sleeve gastrectomy, which is a bit of a misnomer. People think you're actually putting something around the stomach, like a sleeve, mm-hmm. but it's really your stomach just smaller. And we make the surgery for the stomach into a letter J or sort of like a hockey stick where it's thinner on top, a little wider on the bottom. So that's sleeve gastrectomy. The other procedure we perform is gastric bypass, which uh, to make it easy is the letter Y. One part of the Y connects to the new stomach. One part of the Y connects to the old stomach. Where the Y meets, the leg of the Y is where the food starts to be absorbed. So that's the ruin Y. Lab band surgery is not performed readily anymore. It's more becoming of a historic uh, kind of uh, procedure. It was more common in the past, but it's fallen out of favor because of multiple reasons. One is... Patients don't want to get stuck with needles to get adjusted. Uh, they're seeing their friends lose more weight and faster with sleeves and bypasses, and they don't like that. Plus, the complication in terms of the slips and uh, erosions and reoperations are up to 30%. And so it's fallen out of favor. It's, we, most of the patients we see, we take the bands out covered with something else. Mm-hmm. There is an emerging procedure uh, called the SADI, S-A-D-I, which is Historically, it was called a duodenal switch. It's a more complicated surgery in terms of anatomy manipulation, but the CD has made it more simpler, which gives you a sleeve mm-hmm. with a bypass. And what you're doing is sort of pulling up a segment of bowel uh, about uh, 300 centimeters from the connection to the colon, and you're forming an, a Greek omega. Okay. And you sort of have the sleeve with the omega loop, and that is also uh, an, another option for surgery that's sort of emerging. Um, and we'll see where that goes. So, but we're not doing that at Rumsey yet. That's something that's... We, we haven't done that yet at Rumsey, but it is an option. Okay. 
if someone had, you're saying their lap band surgery is now kind of like falling to the wayside. If someone had lap band surgery, can they still go for one of the other procedures if they if they need a, a yes uh, they do and we we do it on one stage we take the band out and convert in one stage some in the past the facilities offer two stage procedures we offer one stage procedure okay. and it's evolving so it's evolving and it's just because so many people have had the band who now need something else and so it you know it's available mm -hmm. uh, to patients and how successful is weight loss surgery in general. So weight loss surgery is very successful. Uh, you can lose up to 70% of your excess weight. Uh, so it's very effective uh, for weight loss, and 100% uh, of people lose weight. Uh, there is a variability depending on ethnic groups. Uh, some ethnic groups respond differently to surgery than others. They lose less weight. They might regain some weight back, and that has to do also possibly with genetics. Uh, but for the most part, uh, it's very effective surgery. If you compare it to medications, medications you can lose I don't know, 15 to 20%, whereas surgery you can lose up to 70% and higher uh, uh, weight loss. How long do the procedures take? So uh, this sleeve gastrectomy take about an hour, uh, and the bypass can be a little longer depending on the situation. So anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. Mm -hmm. How do you determine which procedure works for somebody? Yeah. So uh, there are no absolutes, uh, but I mean, there are some uh, some medical absolutes. For example, a patient who has Barrett's, which is the end stage of reflux, does not qualify for sleeve surgery. It's not a good candidate for sleeve surgery. A patient who has um, had previous surgery in the past with potential scar tissue does not qualify for bypass surgery because you need a certain amount of bile to work with. Mm -hmm. So there are some absolutes, but for the patient who is the... A uh, patient comes in who doesn't have any history of surgery and wants to decide. It depends on their medical condition. If they're insulin-dependent diabetic, bypass is probably a better option. If they're not and they're, you know, they're just suffering from uh, the effects of obesity due to hypertension, uh, joint problems, hyperglycemia, sleep apnea, sleeve is probably adequate. Uh, sleeve, yeah. And what's the, what's the average hospital stay after surgery? So the average hospital stay is one to two nights. And that's it. So I see here that Brumsey's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute is accredited as a comprehensive center with adolescent privileges by the American College of Surgeons Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery's Quality Improvement Program. With obesity rates continuously rising in the United States, are you seeing an increase in adolescent surgeries? Uh, adolescent surgery has been pretty uh, consistently on the lower end um, for multiple reasons, but we do offer the service and we have performed surgery for teenagers who have benefited. What's the what's the age that kids qualify? So in the past, we talked about the age, and, and so uh, the sort of cutoff for the youngest would be as long as their uh, bone plates are fused. But that hasn't seemed to be really a clinically a necessity. So I would say we operate as young as 13. So if you're saying, like you said before earlier, that, that uh, people lose about 70% of their, their body fat, I imagine this leaves, for lack of a better way of saying, excess skin. How is that addressed? So excess skin can be an issue. It necessarily always is. And it, sometimes not an issue as you think it would be. Patients don't. Uh, complain about it as a major issue. Some will say, what about this? What can I do about this? But it's never to the point where it's, you know, significantly affects their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there is patients who are, who start out with a very large BMI who are super obese, and then they might have a little more excess skin than others. And surgery may be necessary in the future to remove that skin.
And what is uh, someone might be considering weight loss surgery? What what's kind of the criteria to qualify for the surgery? So you, the basic criteria is BMI. If the BMI is over between thirty five and forty, with other medical issues, that qualifies for surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the BMI is over forty by itself, that qualifies for surgery. So BMI is the real basic criteria to qualify for surgery, and. Um, a BMI of 40 uh, is a patient's about 80 to 100 pounds overweight, over their ideal body weight. Uh, very few people have ideal body weight, and it's not necessary to be ideal body weight, but to qualify, you have to be about 80 to 100 pounds overweight. Can weight loss surgery be reversed? Yes and no. Uh, sleeve gastrectomy is, is a permanent procedure because we're removing part of the stomach. Bypass can be reversed technically, but it's rarely reversed. It's really very few indications to reverse a bypass, but it can be done. It can be done. When you're talking about people that are, are obese and they're going to have surgery, I imagine anesthesia makes it a little tricky with the body weight, putting someone that heavy under anesthesia. Is that an issue or... Not really. I no. mean, uh, no, anesthesiologists who are experienced with anesthesia uh, can easily perform anesthesia on most uh, patients. They do use criteria, something called a malapati score, depending on the patient's ability to open their mouth, mm-hmm. wide their, the, the relationship of their tongue to the posterior pharynx, and that may necessitate other equipment to help them intubate the patient, mm-hmm. but it's rarely a situation where it's impossible. Okay. And do you do do you perform a lot of the bariatric surgeries robotically? We do. We we have the access to the robot, and we do use the robot readily to perform a bariatric surgery. And how has that made it easier for you as the surgeon? Well, for example, we have better visualization. Uh, we can get into spaces, tighter spaces than we would be able to laparoscopically with better visualization, better to assess the anatomy. We're able to assess possible issues with tissue better uh, with robotics, and we can perform uh, uh, hand-sewn connections, suturing, uh, easier than with laparoscopy. And how has the field of bariatrics changed from the first time you set foot in an operating room to what you're doing today? Well, so, you know, we talk about bariatric, bariatric, but now it's called metabolic surgery Mm -hmm. because we really are affecting the metabolism of the human body, the physiology of the human body. So it's become metabolic surgery rather than just bariatric surgery. And it's evolving with the advent of medications. It's becoming a... um, you sort of turning into like uh, oncology practice where you have surgery together with medicine. And that's sort of evolving. Um, but uh, that's where I think the changes have been uh, with the evolution of medications. Did you start in metabolics? Is that <laughs> the beginning of your career? Did I, yeah, I mean, well, I guess I started when it was bariatric surgery and it's become, because the society has changed its name from American uh, Society of uh, bariatric surgery to American Society of Metabolic and uh, Bariatric Surgery. So that, that that name change happened while I was, you know, starting my practice. So it's evolved to what it is today. Are you finding more and more young potential surgeons are l- looking to bariatrics as a field to go into? Is that is it a, is it a growing field from a professional side? It's a profession. It's a growing field from the technical side for a surgeon because of the minimally invasive techniques, because of robotics, because of the uh, all the advent of other procedures to help with weight loss. So the the technology and that's exciting for surgeons to be involved in. In terms of uh, choice to become a bariatric surgeon, 
And I'm not sure if that by itself is the reason, but I think it's the technical component for a surgeon. And then it, that surgeon then evolves into everything else, becomes becomes that bariatric metabolic surgeon. So when you're going into a procedure to, you get the patient on tape, I mean, you're going in knowing you're going to use robotics, is there an, op- I mean, or do you say, look, I just can't use robotics on this, or, or is that a decision that's made in the well, moment? Most patients are scheduled electively, and so we have to plan. So we uh, will plan for that robotic procedure. If a patient had had extensive surgery in the past, we might not offer robotics as an option because we know there's going to be a lot of scar tissue, or we'll combine laparoscopy with robotics, we'll start laparoscopically to see what the extent of the scar tissue is, and then we'll convert to robotics to, to, to finish the case if we feel comfortable that we have enough you know, space to work in. Gotcha. And you've done thousands of these surgeries throughout your, your career. How do you, what's your game day like when you're going in for surgery? So, you know, again, surgeries are all elective. Patients prepare for months for surgery. Patient doesn't just walk into the office and then get scheduled for surgery. They have a preparation. And when the patient's day comes for surgery, they arrive to the hospital in the morning. Uh, we see them, you know, we, we consent them for the procedure. And we, they get a certain amount of medications prior to the procedure to help with nausea, with pain after surgery. And the patient then goes for surgery. And we, um, you know, Anesthesiologist does their part, the nurse does their part, and then when we're we're ready, the patient's ready and prepped, we then you know start up surgery. And the surgery is done with small incisions. The incisions are anywhere from a half a centimeter to a centimeter at, at most. They can range from four to five incisions, depending on the size of the liver, depending on the anatomy, and that's how surgery is performed. And what about you as a surgeon? When you know, like for example, you're going to work on John Smith the next day, what are you doing the night before, the morning of, to get ready? For the procedure, or is it just at this point it's like natural for you to just walk into the room and here we go? You know, it's it's interesting. It, at this point, it is natural. Uh, when I was starting out, uh, like every other profession, you have a level of anxiety with every surgery because you are operating on human beings and you want to make sure that things are right. You just make sure you don't forget. You know, not operating during COVID was very difficult for surgeons uh, because they were just you know, what else do you do if you're not operating? And also, you're concerned that you don't know what to do when the time comes to do it. So that was always a concern. But uh, with the advent of being independent and developing the program here, it's become second nature. And I think the most important thing I think about in the morning is just to make sure I'm careful and to make sure that, uh, you know, we take our time to do the surgeries uh, right. Uh, You know, if it takes the extra few minutes because of the section of the anatomy, you know, not to be frustrated and just work through the situation. And I think the safety is the number one thing that I think about. Do you find that most of your patients are male, female? Is it pretty even mix? Statistically, it's female mostly, but there's more and more males. And does that approach change based on the anatomy of whether you're working on a male or female patient? No, I mean, you know, one of the issues with obesity has to do with uh, body habitus and uh, visceral fat. So there's visceral fat and there's peripheral fat. So there are people who are obese but they don't have a lot of metabolic issues because their fat is mostly peripheral. So women, for example, who have gynoid obesity, who have the uh, heavy set, you could, uh, you know, uh, arms and legs and, and other parts of the body, they're internally might not look obese at all. Internally, they look like a 25 BMI, 27 BMI. Whereas you have a male who has, uh, has 35 BMI with uh, android obesity or you know abdominal obesity and diabetic will have a BMI internally of a 60 because of the internal uh, distribution of the fat. So visceral fat distribution plays a big role in how metabolically uh, obesity is manifested in the patient. What is the average age of your patients? 
The average age is probably, um, I would say, in the 40s, 40s. But I've operated as, as old as 79. Wow. And I've operated as old, you know, I've done a bypass in a 75-year-old, and I did a, I think we did a band in a 79-year-old, and she got a tattoo on a motorcycle. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if a woman has has weight loss surgery, is she then able to have a family, or does that affect pregnancy? Uh, so it's not recommended to be pregnant for a couple of years after surgery, not because the fetus is affected, but because the weight loss process is disrupted. Uh. Um, women who undergo weight loss surgeries can get pregnant. In fact, it's easier to get pregnant as well. So as soon as women who had trouble conceiving uh, before surgery lose 30, 40 pounds, and it's much easier. So they have to be careful. They have to use you know protection more readily. And uh, potentially, there could be complications of the surgery with pregnancy, with bypass. If there is bowel obstructions, what have you, there has been incidences of fatalities. Uh, but for the most part, it's safe as long as you wait that period of time. Well, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Barkin, for joining us today and for all that you do to keep us safe and well. Thank you. As you've heard, there are highly skilled, experienced medical professionals ready to serve you at Richmond University Medical Center's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. To learn more about our services or to schedule a consultation, please call 718-818-4020 or visit our website at rumpsysi.org. That about does it for this episode of Rumsey Connections. Thanks for joining us. I'm Meredith Gaskins.